All right, how are y'all doing today? Good, good to see you all. Let's turn to the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 1. Justice read it as our opening call to worship, but it uh, bears repeating. Starting in verse 9, Colossians chapter 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, we rejoice at Max and Joy getting married and us being able to celebrate with them Friday night. We thank you, God, and pray that you'd bless their marriage and that it would be glorifying to you. Lord, we pray for our brother Dave Wilson, who had um, knee surgery again, and just the weeks and weeks that he has um, lying in front of him, God, just let that be a time where he draws closer to you. Be with him, minister to him, let the body uh, love him well during this time. God, we thank you for David McNeil um, being confirmed as a deacon, and we look forward to uh, ordaining him as a deacon in a few weeks um, at our service, as well as some baptisms, God. You are clearly at work in our midst. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are always doing a work, God, and let us be fast about the work that you call us to. Lord, we pray for our children. It is our heart's desire to see each one of them come to know you, regardless of how old or young they are, God. Adult children even, Lord, we want them uh, to know you, Lord. So we pray for all the, the children represented by the families here, that each one of them would come to know you, work in their lives to draw them to you, God, regardless of their age, that you would be gracious to save them. And we thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus, for sending him for us. Lord, let us hear from you now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, a while back, there was a, a Christian a speaker, a guest speaker visiting a public university, and he was going to be speaking on uh, Jesus and the gospel. And so they were kind of giving him a tour of the campus. And his guide pointed out this one building and was like, this is the first postmodern building in the U.S. And so he's like, well, like, what does that, what does that mean to be a postmodern building? And he's like, well, the architect basically reasoned that since there's no meaning in life, that he, he kind of put the building together that it wouldn't have much purpose or design. So there's staircases that don't go anywhere. There's doors that open to, you know, brick walls. There's pillars that don't support anything. And so the Christian um, guest speaker asked him, um, did he build the foundation without a purpose? Right? Because foundations are important. So you, you can be all willy-nilly if you want with a little support column that doesn't support anything, right? Or a staircase that doesn't go anywhere. But you're going to take great care and give that foundation purpose, right? 
You want it to do what it's designed to do. And one of the things that we're seeing here in the book of Colossians is that in order for us to grow, we need to have a solid foundation. What's our foundation? It's none other than Jesus Christ himself. God wants us to have a firm foundation. Now think about it. Um, anyone here ever bought a house? Yeah? Okay. So when, when, you're, when you're looking to buy a house, like if you go into the basement and the walls are, have all these cracks and are crumbling and there maybe there's like jetal, jetal, uh, giant metal plates holding it up, like does that concern you a little bit? Like, the, on the first floor, like, if the wood floor's scratched up a little bit, you're like, oh, we could either buff that out or we can replace the floor. Maybe there's some holes in the drywall. You can patch those up, right? But, like, if the foundation is messed up, that makes you a little bit uneasy in regards to maybe purchasing that house. I remember when Andrew and I were looking to buy our first house, uh, we went into this one house and went into the basement, and there was, I guess it was supposedly like the support um, one of the support like posts, but it wasn't like tall enough. And so the, the, the floor on the first floor was like sagging and they had taken a car jack and put it between like the floor that was sagging and this support post that was not long enough and had kind of jacked it up. So it was like jammed in there between the support post and the floor. Okay. Yeah. We didn't buy that house. Okay. <laughs> It was pretty sketch, right? Like, that is very concerning. Foundations are very important. Why? Because the foundation means the whole building can become suspect. It can topple over. It can end up having issues. And one of the things I was, when I was a religious studies major um, down at Mizzou, um, I took all sorts of different classes on all sorts of different religions. And my religious, um, my advisor for, for my degree was also one of my professors for a number of my classes. And um, I believe it was the New Testament class. It was either my intro to New Testament or intro to Old Testament, but I'm pretty sure intro to New Testament. And he, and he was teaching all sorts of just uh, the liberal bogusness that just floats out there and, and people seem to feast on plenty of these days. But he was teaching it. And um, some of my friends that were believers were in this class and it was really, uh, it was a struggle for their faith to hear some of these things. Basically, their, their faith was being attacked. And so I remember um, emailing him. Um, I mean, he claimed to be a believer. Uh, I remember emailing him and expressing my concern. And I used the illustration of, of what are we building people's faith on, right? Are we building it on the rock? Or are we building it on the sand? And I said, I'm just concerned that like, these people's faith, maybe it's currently on the sand. We need to help build it on the rock. And so how can we do that? Well, his, his reply to my email was, if, if their faith is built on the sand, like it's going to fall anyway, so it might as well fall in my class. That was his response. So foundations are important, and we want to make sure we have solid foundations. So how do we try to build on a foundation. Well, sometimes what happens is we try to firm it up with various innovations or practices. But here's the thing. Biblical truths are part of the foundation, and they're, it's kind of like a, a, a brick wall. They're like linked together piece by piece, cemented slowly together to be very firm. But part of that is submitting ourselves daily to the Word of God. And one of the things that we focused on in Colossians because it deals with one of the things that Paul's attacking is this Gnosticism that was going on and trying to creep into the early church um, with the Colossians. 
that's not a firm foundation as we've seen, right? Well, what were the Gnostics saying? Because I want to, I want to make, I want to tell you, like, and I think um, Dustin, who shared a few weeks ago, says, um, new, he said something like, new truths are just old heresies, right? And I was, I was like, yeah, that's, that's that, I mean, that's how true that is. So as we're seeing different truths trying to, uh, that come up in the new truths that come up into the culture, right? It's really just old falsehoods that have just maybe been dressed up some, some different way. So the Gnostics, they're saying the outside doesn't matter, the flesh doesn't matter, the external doesn't matter, like it can deceive you and lie to you. Well, I mean, that's, that's part of what we have going on in our culture today. Even if you think of like the transgenderism, what you're on the outside doesn't matter, the flesh doesn't matter, the external doesn't matter. So your body tells you you're a girl and you want to be a boy, well then your body's wrong, the outside's wrong, the external's wrong, the flesh is wrong. It's the soul that matters. I know, think about it, think of what you've heard. I know what I am, I have the knowledge, you don't know what it's like. I mean, it's, it's a form of Gnosticism. So it's a focus on this knowledge, but it's grounded in falsehoods and lies. And even for the past few years and even before, but we've heard different mantras uh, said to us over and over, the science is settled, the science is settled. And what we've seen in the past six months or years, the science is anything but settled, right? <clears throat> the scientists might say it's settled, but uh, that's another thing. So it, it, that's even a, a new religion of sorts, this scientism, if you will. Other things that try to creep in there, intellectualism, that's not a firm foundation. Knowledge alone doesn't save. Think about what it says in Ephesians 2. For, for by grace we're saved through what? Through faith, right? doesn't say for by grace we're saved through knowledge. Now, faith um, has knowledge to it. It's not a blind faith. It's not just like, oh, I'm just believing something somewhere. No, knowledge is very much a part of the faith, but it's not by just knowledge that we're saved. And if you think about it, like, I know people, people that were very heady, that called themselves believers, that could talk an intellectual game on Christian topics more so than some of you. And yet, what happened? Time and testing came, trials popped up, and because they grounded it on this intellectualism and not Jesus and, and the firm foundation and a true faith in him, they toppled over. Toppled over. And that's why, personally, like, I love it. Like, sometimes that just, when Jesus talks about the childlike faith, I mean, that's what he's talking about. Like, even a young child can understand the simple things of the faith and be saved. And it's, so even as adults are growing, sometimes I've met people who might not be the, the sharpest tack in the bunch, but, but their love for Jesus is evident and s sincere, and it flows out of them clearly. So maybe they couldn't match wits with, with some of the best of people, but guess what? They are saved, they're walking with Jesus, and the fruit of the Spirit is pouring out of them left and right. That's what God's looking for. So not intellectualism, but also not emotionalism. Right? Again, we're saved by grace through what? 
Emotions? No. Knowledge? No. Through faith. Through faith. And I remember, you know, being in, in one of my religious studies classes, and, and, I mean, we studied Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam, if you name it, and even the ones you can't name, we studied it, all right? Um, all sorts of, of religions that most people have never heard of. But I, I remember clearly watching this one video where it was uh, th- this Hinduism, these Hindu rites, essentially, that they were going through, and these people had worked themselves up into this frenzy and were doing all sorts of just crazy stuff. And I remember sitting there, and it, like, struck me for the first time, like, these people really believe what they believe, and they really believe that it's true. And they've worked themselves up into this emotional state, and from the outside, you think, wow, there's something going on there. And guess what? Yeah, there was something going on there. A whole lot of deception and deceit. Because if you just have the emotion or you just have the intellect, listen, you don't have a a true faith. And again, how many people do we know? I know people that seemed very passionate about Jesus, but they didn't have a foundation of Jesus himself. So very emotional, and yet when the winds of trials came or temptations came, they toppled over. They toppled. So we, we have to be, we, we, can, we can deceive ourselves. We can trick ourselves. We have to make sure that Jesus Christ himself is the foundation upon which we stand. Everything else is what kind of sand? Sinking sand. So here's what, uh, keep your place in, in Colossians, but look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7. This is the same uh, passage that I mentioned to my religious advisor back in college. Matthew 7, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Like, like we get the answer straight from Jesus here. What does he say? Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and what? Does them. They hear the words, and they do them. That's Jesus. So what he says, goes. And who he says he is, goes. That's what we submit ourselves unto, him and his words. So Paul, if you look over in 1 Corinthians 3, this is the point that Paul is emphasizing. He starts in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Right, so there's that picture. He's, He's laying it out, this illustration, God's building. Verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation 
other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right? That's, that's the foundation. Jesus himself is the foundation. And what is Paul saying? He laid that foundation. What, what does he mean by that? Well, I mean, he went out and, and was preaching the gospel, right? People were getting saved. He's planting churches. Life is occurring. There's spiritual growth going on. But what, what's that foundation of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ? That forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus only. That we're called to repent and turn from our wicked ways and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's the foundation. And what does he say? Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So the foundation is Jesus, and then we're building on it. Sometimes we try to add to the foundation. Sometimes we try to take away from the foundation. But Jesus is the foundation, and if we start chipping away at it, guess what? Bad things happen. If we try, start trying to add to the foundation, guess what? Bad things happen. So what do we mean when we're talking about Jesus? Like who he is? Do you believe he's the Savior? That's really not rhetorical. Not a savior but the savior right you talk to some people and are like well i know that like christianity for some people like yeah if, if you're following christianity it, it really doesn't make sense it's so weird but if, if you follow christianity then that jesus is your savior but if you're islam and a muslim then there's a path that's the path you have to follow and you have to be true to that path and if you're a hindu you have to be true to that path like and so in that scenario they're saying well jesus is a savior well, I mean, the Bible I read says in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Not a way, not a truth, not a life. He is the, right? The way. It's right there, right there in the English, same as the Greek. Imagine that, the way, the truth, the life. So who he is, that he is the Savior, that He is God Himself. Do you believe this? What about what He said? Do you believe His words? I mean, He said some tough words, right? And, and, and our, our culture, even our Christian culture, I mean, it waters those words down. You know, pick up, I was listening to a sermon uh, <clears throat> yesterday, actually, and he was talking about you know, picking up your cross. And he's like, man, we, we, we water that down. We water that down because it's like, oh, well, if you've got a challenging spouse, like that's your cross. He's like, that's an insult to what God did through Jesus to make it something so petty compared to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when we're called to pick up our cross, it's, I mean, we're called to talking about we're willing to lay down our life for the gospel. Now we're having our squabbles with our, our spouse. Now we have a challenge with our boss. Those might be trials that we're dealing with, but picking up the cross, I mean, that's a call to die. So our, our culture tends to kind of water down the words of Jesus <clears throat> or even say, uh, well, this is what he really meant. No, do we really believe the words of Jesus? When he speaks them, do we trust them? Yes or no? Yes. So that's our foundation. Notice the steps back in Colossians. 
starting in verse 9. Paul, this is a prayer. We looked at a prayer earlier of thanksgiving, which, which starts in verse 3, but now he starts another prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So these are the things that Paul is praying, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Okay, that's, that's like, notice the progression here, the knowledge of his will. So how does the Lord want me to live? We, we want to be filled with the knowledge of his will. How he's revealed himself and his truths in the scripture. Revealed right here for us. How does the Lord want me to live? What are his statutes and commands for me? And then it goes on, verse 10, so as, so as. So what's the idea? Here's the goal. So as. Here's what I want to see. Here's what we're aiming for, which is what? So as, what's the goal? What are we aiming for? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, live a life that reflects whose you are. Then there's, a, there's more steps. It says fully pleasing to him. So walk in a manner, the goal is walk in a manner fully pleasing to him. And then we get um, four ways, four ways to please God here. If you look, um, <clears throat> there's basically four participles that are going on here. Um, and a lot of versions do a great job of, of, of pointing that out. Um, it's bearing fruit. That's the first one. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the second. Being strengthened with all power. That's the third. And then verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. So when Paul's talking about walking in a manner fully pleasing to him, those are the four things that he lists that we're going to look at right now. Well, we're going to look at least two of them. So do you, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be, be fully pleasing to the Lord, right? And I, I want to walk in a manner that is fully pleasing to him. So, I mean, Scripture doesn't hide these things from us, brothers and sisters. It's right here for us. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? You want to, you want to attain that goal? You want to be pleasing to him? Here it is, the first one, bearing fruit in every good work. We're going to look at that. But here's the thing I want to say kind of overarching those four, those four uh, points is this. Each one of us, if we are a believer, each one of us bears the name of Jesus. We bear his name. There was this uh, it's a cute little story of this, this little girl. She had to have, unfortunately had to have heart surgery. This surgery was successful. Um, and afterwards, as, you know, she's, she's recovering. Uh, her first words were, did you find Jesus in my heart? <laughs> and she said, because that's where he lives, you know. <clears throat> But, I mean, that's the idea. Like, we bear the image of Jesus. And people put a lot of stock, if you think about it, in, in images. Like, a lot of us um, pay a lot of money for different little logos that we like to wear on our clothing or our shoes, maybe even the cars we drive, the types of computers we use the types of phones we choose to buy, right? All sorts of different logos there. Listen, Jesus' logo is way more valuable. All right? Just because you have a Rolodex, maybe you got a little bit of money, or maybe you bought some, you know, uh, knockoff in some, you know, thrift shop. I don't know. But the logo of Jesus blows that thing away. So who we are, and here's the thing, we bear the image of God. We're made in his image, right? 
made in the image of God. Guess what? He has the naming rights. He has the naming rights. Now, the Staples Center, anybody know where the Staples Center is located? It's an arena for professional sports. Good job. Does anyone know the new name? See, it's about the naming, right? So the Staples Center was the Staples Center for 22 years. <clears throat> 22 years, 1999, it was built for $375 million, which seems like a steal today, apparently. But that's what it was built for, and for about 20 years, um, it was called the Staples Center. So for every Lakers game, for every Clippers game, and if you're a hockey fan, for every Kings game, right? Coming to you live tonight from the Staples Center. Well, they were bought out, or however that works. Um, they got the naming rights were given to Crypto.com for $700 million for 20 years. 50, 000, I did the math. 50000 a day. 50000 a day. They got the naming rights. Now, it, they got just the naming rights, $700 million. How much did it cost to build it? You remember? Three, $375 million, remember? So they almost paid double of what it, just to have the name on it, of what it cost to originally build the building. Naming rights are important. Listen, he who bought you with his son's precious blood gets to name you. And his son's blood is worth way more than $700 million. Way more. It's an infinite value. So he who owns you gets the naming rights. What does that mean, though? This is important. Satan doesn't get to name you. He doesn't get to name you. Only God does. So here's the thing. That means we need to quit believing Satan's names and accusations. Loser, no good, ugly, unwanted, stupid, all lies. Child of God, wanted, blessed, image of God, new creation, alive with Christ, more than conquerors, free from condemnation. That's you. That's you. And you need to believe it. He who owns you gets to name you. So believe that and quit buying into the lies of Satan. He doesn't get to name you. He, he starts trying to name you, you shoot him down. Shoot him down. So he's naming us. He's our foundation, right? And then he's telling us, okay, I'm your foundation. You're bought by my blood. You have my logo. Like Romans 8 talks about we're being conformed to the image of his son, right? So we're being conformed to the image of his son. And then he says, and, and here's how you can honor me so as to live in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? Here's how you can glorify me. Here's how you can walk in a way that truly honors my name. And he gives four ways. Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, and giving thanks to the Father. So the, this Thanksgiving section that we looked at a couple months ago, it really points back to the work of God among the Colossians. 
But this prayer here that we've been looking at for a few weeks, it really points forward to their responsibility as believers. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? So notice something here. That first one, bearing fruit. Look back at verse, at verse um, well, we're going to have to go to 3 so we can get, um, we can get the, the full sentence. Verse 3, Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then here's what I want us to see. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. All right, so he's talking about the gospel here. Everything he's about to say, he's saying it about the gospel, which has come to you. What's come to you? The gospel, right? As indeed in the whole world. So it's come, it's come to the Colossians, but it's come to the whole world, right? In the whole world, it is, what's it doing? Bearing fruit and increasing. Well, notice in verse 10, okay? What's he say there? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing. Listen, it's saying that while the gospel is, is going to do these things and has been doing these things and will continue to do these things, so too will we. This is the effect of the gospel on a regenerate people. It comes in and it does its work. The good news of Jesus Christ to save people. The gospel goes forth. And the effect on a regenerate people is what? Bearing fruit and increasing. The regenerate are transformed and that works its way out to others. It's seen externally. The inner renewal exhibits external fruit. So the gospel transforms. Amen? It transforms. It transforms us. So if you've been transformed by the power of the gospel, what flowed into you will now flow out of you. Okay, God's mercy and grace and love, I mean, that, that's flowed in. And guess what? Now it's going to flow out. It's going to flow out. So where does, it, where does this occur? Well, he tells us, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. God wants us busy about his kingdom work. Listen, the test, one, one, one author said, the test of faith is whether it makes any difference in the way we live and treat others. The test of faith. So the idea is, is that things believed, uh, the Latin credenda, the things that believed, they matter, but the things that are done the Latin agenda, matter also. Okay, so the credenda and the agenda. There's a magazine called that. I think there still is. Uh, credenda and the agenda. The believing and the doing. They both matter. And do you want to know the work that matters most to God? I'm going to tell you something. It's a lot of times the, the work that matters least to people. Look, look at Matthew. Hold your place in Colossians and, and look at Matthew. Matthew 25. Thank you. 
So the work that matters most to God is, is oftentimes the work that matters least to people. Look what he says in Matthew 25. Oh, we're just going to read a, a, a good portion of it. Starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when, I mean, so listen, let's just hit the pause button here. Like, the righteous ones, they're a little bit confused. They're like, okay, uh, uh, yeah, like, when did we do these things, Lord? Then the righteous, verse 7, 37, then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, if we really believed this, then our children's ministry and our nursery ministry would be overflowing with volunteers. As you do it, what does he say? As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, this, this should affect our ministry. The least of these, right? The least of these. And sometimes we don't think those small tasks to the least of these are important. I mean, Jesus, I mean, his words, y- y'all already agreed that you believed him, right? Jesus said it's so important that it's as if you did it for me. All right, so remember that the next time you're dealing with younger children, parents, then grandparents. As you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. God is very much glorified when we take his heart for the orphans and the widows, for the destitute, for the poor. What does James 1 say? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Everyone wants to do great works, but not everyone wants to do God's work. Let's make sure we're doing God's work. That's bearing fruit. Increasing, let's talk about that. Increasing in the knowledge of God back in Colossians. We took that quiz a few weeks ago. I mean, part of it is knowing answers like that quiz we took. That's part of it. That's not all of it. It is part of it. But there's more. Here's the thing. Like, increasing... Increasing in the knowledge of God will fuel our holiness. But it's also true in the reverse. Our holiness will fuel our desire to know God more. 
right? So as you're increasing in the knowledge of God, I mean, the, the clearer a picture you get of God and you really see him for who he is, like that spurs you on to be more like him. You see him. You know, I mean, think of Moses. Moses is like, hey, I, I want to I see your glory. And, and what did the Lord say? Like, you can't handle it, right? But I'll let you see, after I pass by, I'll let you see from behind, right? And, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm like, Lord, okay, I, I'm, I'll, I'll take the Moses deal. <laughs> like, just let me see that, see, the, see the, 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 the glimpse from behind as you're walking. Like, listen, even if we could just see that, like, that'd be more than enough for us. Like, and here it is right here. Like, you start to, to study the attributes of God and truly understand who he is. Like, you have the Moses experience. Think about it. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear that the New Testament saints were way more blessed than the Old Testament saints in terms of what has been given to us and revealed. Okay? So we're like, man, I wish I could have been, you know, like Elijah, or I could have been like Moses. Well, there's aspects of that that's true. I get that. But, like, we have the living and breathing Holy Spirit inside of us. Hallelujah! Right? We get to look back on thousands of years of what God's been doing and see the story come to fruition much more completely than Abraham or Moses or Noah or any of them. Like, we live in this age. I mean, we are blessed. We are blessed. Greatly blessed. So you start studying the attributes of God. That's why when people, like, knock doctrine, I'm just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, to know God, that is doctrine, theology, the study of God. So you start to, you know, you start reading in the Psalms, and you see the, the majesticness of God and how amazing he is and how awesome he is and how beautiful he is. Like, you can only but fall on your knees and worship him and praise his name. So then you pick up, you know, a, a book that God's blessed someone with wisdom and knowledge to, to bring forth some of those different attributes and describe more clearly what they mean and how it looks and pulling the different scriptures and you're you're amazed that's why we're going i mean what's the book we're going through knowledge of the holy and our men and women's bible study i mean it's i mean he's got so much um it's you know the book by tozer he's got so much crammed i mean it's amazing he just made this this little book because most most books on the attributes of god are you know like this or they're volumes and so sometimes you can you can just but read like one or two sentences and you got to stop and think about it and chew on it. I mean, it's very powerfully packed. But what our hope and prayer is, is that as you're reading that, you come to know God more. You come to know him more. You're increasing in the knowledge of God. So you want, to, you want to know God for who he is. As you're doing that and as you're studying the scriptures and as you're getting into the word, guess what? And sometimes what happens is you have these different false idols, sometimes you didn't even know you had them, but you had different wrong views of God set up, and those start to, dig, to get knocked down. God takes care of them through his word. That's why believe in the word, that's the important thing. Submitting unto Christ, making sure he is that firm foundation. So you want to know his word, but we also want to know him. We want to know him. So Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And what's all other ground again? 
It's the sinking sand. So he's the foundation of our faith. Nothing else and no one else. So then the question, as we're, we're getting into this section where it's about doing, essentially, he's established who we are. Now it's like, what do we do? How are we going to walk it out? And, and we're given four, four ways to do that. Four ways, right? So the bearing fruit and increasing. Are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing fruit? That's, that's one question to ask ourselves. We should be bearing fruit. And what does a good tree do? A good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. What kind of tree does a bad fruit? Yeah, sorry, I messed that up. <clears throat> yeah, bad, bad tree, bad fruit. Um, by God's grace and his mercy, we are the good trees. We are the good trees. Okay? Live according to your treeness. Right? So if you're an apple tree, you're producing apples. You're not, you're producing, and you're producing good apples, but you're producing apples. Or if you're a peach tree, you're producing peaches. But you're, you're not producing um, whatever. <clears throat> Acorns, I don't know. You're producing the fruit that you should produce. So nothing else and no one else but Jesus. He is the one that makes a difference in our lives. Listen, if, 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 if what he says to us in his word, if who he, he claims to be is not true, then like we're just wasting our time. We might as well just head home. And we can save the whales or something like that. <clears throat> because apparently they need saving. No. Like, if he is who he claims to be, and he is, and we really believe it, and we do, then, then the transformation that has occurred, the regeneration that we have by God himself, then flows out to others. Okay? Listen, painful test here. You want to you know how, how well you're doing walking with the Lord? This is a painful test. All right? Because all of y'all, including myself, can fool each other for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. Right? Okay, the painful test is, is how are you doing inside wherever your little dwelling unit is with your family? That, that's the test. Okay, because that's where the, the heat gets turned up, right? And the true self can come up to that surface, or we let down our guard a little bit. That's the test, all right? You want, you want to have a little, a little thermometer of how you're doing? Then, then take a little, a little test of, of what would your family say. And, and as we're reflecting on that, then that means in a, in a moment when I'm praying, we might need to do some repenting. Okay, because if we're honest, they're kind of seeing our true self. Not the happy Sunday face or whatever, but the true self. And if anyone should see our true self in, in its glorious, beautiful way, it should be our family. But a lot of times they see the ugliness of us, right? And that's not right. That's not right. 
we're going against the fruit of the tree we claim to be. We're going against that. Let's make the fruit we have match our profession, the profession of faith. Let's make sure it is equal across the board. We're professing it, and then we're showing it every single step of the way. How can we do this? We're going to look at some of it next week, but it's by God's grace through his strength. It's by his spirit that y'all just said amen to when I said we're filled with it, right? By his spirit. So the worship team is going to come on up. And if you need to get right before the Lord and spend some time repenting right now, you can do that. I'm going to pray. Lord, bring your holy conviction upon us. Let your work be true. Let us be tried and true, God, and forgive us where we've fallen short, fallen short with our family, with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings, with our spouse. And let us do something about it and make it right, God. We thank you by the blood of your son. It can be made right. And if we have your son, we have hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Hope that you can renew all things. Hope that you can restore all things. So whatever is broken, Lord, that needs fixing, we ask you to fix it. Whatever has been torn and needs mending, please mend it. Do your work, Lord, we ask. Amen.